Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to our wonderful listeners. I have the pleasure of welcoming back Miss Hannah Ross to the podcast. And today, her and I are basically going to have a conversation back and forth about virtual physiotherapy care and virtual care, I guess, in general, really. Um, And this is just like two colleagues having a conversation because this is unprepared and unscripted. (laughs) Thanks for having me, buddy. And as and and as scripted, I just mean I don't have questions prepared. So this is just like us having a con. This would be like our pre-podcast conversation where I'd be writing down what questions am I going to ask you. We're just gonna like we're just gonna wing it, but we're good at that. Nobody, I would love to wing it with more than with you. So thanks for having me. Yeah. So virtual care. I mean, here we are a year into COVID-19, you know, thinking back to March where, you know, you and I, we both own and operate uh, physiotherapy clinics, getting the news, like we're getting shut down, not having any clue, like, what does this mean? Um, I mean, we didn't even know we were going to be allowed to open for emergency care. So like, this is early March, or no, mid-March, we're shutting down. Like the scramble was real. We were virtual hard. Yeah. Um, were you providing any virtual care before that? No. So we, we had as part of our con- uh, cancellation policy, we had in place um, an offer that went something like this. Um, we have a 48 hour or two business day cancellation policy. Um, if you cannot, if you cancel within that 48 hour period, we have the option of a, paying for your appointment, B, um, rescheduling to an opening that if that therapist, and prior to the pandemic, we had an eight week waiting list for our therapists to be, for people to get in to see our therapist. So if our therapist had a cancellation within that week, you could be, you could move your appointment to that, to that uh, appointment time, or you could hop on a virtual call. So we had set up, we were using doxy.me, which is a free, HIPAA compliant, Hypeta compliant platform. Um, we all had all my therapists had set up their free um, Doxy accounts. And let's say two people a month were opting for a virtual. So we had, we had dabbled in it. We had some of the tech set up. We didn't have, you know, it, it was more like a, if you physically cannot be here, here's what we can offer you. Absolutely. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, we weren't sort of wrapping our heads around what does this look like? Cause we had like sort of an idea of what it looked like. And we were using that to like check in with our clients and, you know, uh, sort of take their exercises and adopt them and, you know, give them and progress them and give them the next steps. And um, we, we could fill the gap. We understood how to fill the gap. And this is a 
big thing that I think that therapists right now who are not providing virtual care, they get how to do that one appointment, how to do the like, well, let's just chat about how to progress the exercise I'd given you last time, or let's just, let's check in and see how you're doing. And I can answer your questions. They get how to use virtual for that purpose, which Mm -hmm. is the exact same thing we were using it for before, but they have no idea what to do after that. They don't understand how to actually run a virtual practice. They understand how to use virtual as a band-aid solution. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I remember like we set up the tech really quickly. We already had all the equipment. Um, we had all the extra laptops and to get our therapists, you know, sort of set up. Um, and I and I remember taking a, a specific webinar um, more tailored toward, you know, how, how to run a pelvic health assessment. Cause I, I are, you know, the, the interesting, I I feel like pelvic health physiotherapists were positioned really well to transition very easily into virtual care because of the biopsychosocial model. We have this deeper understanding of the importance of education um, strategy, because a lot of what we do is strategic, right? Based on symptoms, based on presentations, based on our assessment findings, we have very, we kind of understand the strategic approaches that we need to get people to their goals. So, you know, kind of moving from being able to progress from one appointment to another, like I felt fairly confident. I was like, okay, I have my head wrapped around it. I just wasn't really sure a pelvic health assessment because it's such a manual, like in-person thing. And I was like, okay, so how does this, like, how does this work? Cause I'm not going to be putting them on camera to like do an exam, but you know, how do I walk them through what I need to assess in order to get a good sense of where to go next? And so after the webinar, I was like, bam, I'm like ready to go. And um, the uptake wasn't very strong in the beginning. Cause I don't think people really had like people, people knew telemedicine and telehealth, like they, it, it exists. I think um, perhaps people in Northern um, parts of the country where access to care is much more challenging, probably have a bit more experience with telehealth and virtual, virtual care. I, and I'm assuming most of it being telehealth, meaning over the phone, so virtual, even in and of itself, maybe technologically wasn't even available, um, but people didn't really know what it is and certainly had no sort of conception in their mind. Like, how are you going to do physio virtually? 100%. What was your, what was your experience? Uh, there's, it's so complex because, and I think that, um, we almost have to break it down into the different aspects because for us we thought like the shutdown in where I'm in Toronto in Ontario and the official shutdown was, uh, I believe the third week in March. So March 15th was the Sunday. Um, and March 13th was the Friday. It was Friday the 13th. I actually sent, we had a, you know, we, I've been chatting with my team. We had a whole meeting. I was like, we have, I run a pelvic health and, and you know, women's health physiotherapy practice. Our cleaning practice, protocols are like par excellence. Like they were, we were following everything Health Canada. We were, you know, we, we were to the T on top of those things. 
so I was like, I, I was talking with my team and I said, you know, like we, people are safe coming in here. We need to let them know that. And we sent out an email saying, we are aware of what's going on. We want to, you know, want to reassure you that your health and safety is absolutely the, our, our top of mind. And we are strategically ensuring that you are uh, cared for and safe at the same time. As of Friday, we were running on Monday as per, uh, you know, as per regular Monday. And things evolved very quickly at that time. And by Saturday night, you know, it's funny because I had a baby in 2018 and I had a full team at that time. And I was running my team meetings on Zoom as well. So the technology was familiar to us. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been running, we, um, Maddie and I run a, a mastermind for clinic owners. We've been running our, our masterminds on Zoom for how many years? Four years? Like Zoom was not a new thing for us at all. Not. No, we were familiar with it. And so, and I do believe that that's a massive advantage. We didn't take time to fumble. So um, I called a Zoom team meeting on that Sunday and I said, you guys, um, as of tomorrow, every single appointment is virtual. You, you, here's a template of an email. I handed it to them. I said, you need to put in your Doxy um, email address here because everybody, the way that Doxy works is everybody gets their individual email address and, um, or link, I should say. And you need to contact every person on your schedule tomorrow right now and let them know that it's a virtual appointment. And we did it day by day. Tuesday, we we're like, we thought this is going to be two weeks. And we're like, for the next two weeks, everybody is virtual and we are committed to care. And at the end of the day, we have to have our clients' best interest in mind. And our, it, their best interest is not to halt care because there's something crazy going on in the world. It's we are committed to making sure that you achieve the goals that you want. And in that first week, you know, they, it was it was like a fight, flight, or freeze, right? And so some people um, were like, nothing is getting in my way. We are going no matter what. And they were like, hell yeah, we're in for this virtual care. Some people were like, I don't know what to do. I need to like halt everything and I'll let you know. And some people were like, I need to cancel everything because I don't know what to do with my life. And, and we just know that that's like, that's how humans respond. And right. Yeah. And so the thing we were meeting three times a week, my team and I, and the biggest piece that I kept reminding them was, it's not about you. This is about the clients. However, our therapists were having their own response as well. Right. Yeah. And so we had to manage ourselves and our own self-care and our own teams while also understanding that as a clinic owner, I have like people need to eat and that's my, the onus is on me to make sure that my team eats. So I need to keep guiding them and keep the momentum going in order to ensure that my team keeps going. And to help them like foster the skills as we, as we, you know, move along. Yes. And so the thing was, and I think where a lot of people got stuck, and I was doing the same thing. I was on every webinar. I was on everything. Like I was just literally like, okay, how do I actually, I, I get how to do that band-aid, but how do I provide excellent care? And what I wanted it to be was not like, ideally we're in clinic, but since we can't be, let's provide virtual. This is actually a totally different offer. And I think where a lot of people get stuck is in thinking that there's tier one offer and there's tier two and virtual is tier two. It's not. 
we're actually going to, we're actually going to capture a whole bunch of people. Like pelvic health physio is scary to people. Yeah. We're going to capture people who would have never come to see us because they were too afraid to walk in your door, but who are willing to do it over camera, who are willing to do it if it feels safe where they can stay in their homes. I think that where we get stuck is we assume that the way we've done it is the best way versus the way that we're doing it now, which is the secondary option. And you're right, like as public health physios, as people who are in like continuing education all the time, who are trying to stay on top of the latest research, we actually know the biopsychosocial model of care is a better model of care. It's more research-based. There's more evidence behind it. And you know what the violent psychosocial model of care says? It actually says that what we do with our hands doesn't matter very much. It says that like our clients' belief in their body and treating them as a human being and addressing them um, all the, as a full system, addressing their relationships, their, you know, like where, where do they live? Like what's, what's their socioeconomic status? Like those things matter more than actually me putting my hands on you and manually manipulating you, right? And so if we can move away, I actually think that um, we've spent our whole, you know, professional lives telling people that it's our hands that actually fix them. When A, that's not the truth, but B, you cannot blame clients for not understanding what the value is in virtual care if we've just spent all of our time telling them that our value is in our hands. It's the onus is on us now to educate the public properly about how or what our value is and we cannot just sit back and be like well they don't get it and nobody wants it and like be all huffy about it if we haven't taken the time like we got to sprinkle the seeds now we actually have to take the time to educate people about what it is that what the advantages of seeing physiotherapists and, and it, the advantage isn't only in the hands and it's only a very small part in our hands-on care yeah, it's still a part, but not the whole part. And it's interesting because, you know, our profession was very education and active based, right? How do we help you move? How do we help you function in your day-to-day um, life? And how, and it's so interesting because what I've done is I've transferred strategies around manual therapy to the client. So I'm actually teaching the client to do their own self-touch, um, self-release techniques to, and, and I think it's been helpful to help them realize that the power of their healing was always within them. They just needed to realize that and have the education around how the, all the pieces work in order to understand like, why is it that we're addressing this, this, and this, yeah. right? Um, and having them be more active in their care was in fact making them better rather than dependent on our hands. I think our hands They're do faster, a, right? Yeah. That's the thing too. Yeah, faster, getting better faster. I think, you know, so I wanna, I guess I wanna have a chat about, you know, why, so you and I, actually maybe we should preface. So you and I are continuing, like we've continued. So like in June, here in Ontario, like we, like physiotherapy care was opened up to everybody. So we left emergency and virtual. So we had in-person emergency and virtual. We shifted back to like 
basically anybody could come and see us. And so what happened for most therapists, like even happened to some of my therapists was they were doing virtual and then they switched completely back to in person. It had started, they had taken the time it does it's building and then they neglected it. Whereas I was like, no, I actually like this idea of hybrid care where, you know, we do the virtual piece, but we have moments within our care plan where we may have an in-person appointment so that we can do some more objective testing. Um, you know, I think it's important as well for like reassurance um, with pelvic health. Sometimes our clients are like, I'm really just not sure. And so if it's a matter of building their confidence and their self-efficacy to continue with their treatment plan, I think the hands-on component is important. So you and I have both continued with sort of this hybrid care. Um, you know, what is it that manual therapists, like, why is it that manual therapists, let's just say broadly speaking in the physiotherapy realm are so afraid to, are they afraid or, or is it just, is it just easier to revert back to what you know, than to develop a new set of skill? Or is it that we just spend so much money and investment in manual therapy skills, because that's kind of what is deemed as like the best thing in the profession versus some of these other soft skills, like motivational interviewing and, um, you know, how to work and exercise the central nervous system, et cetera, et cetera. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's all of those. Um, to be honest with you, I think this is an identity crisis for physiotherapists and manual therapists. I, like when I'm talking to my clients and they're like, how does, how does virtual care work? Um, like I thought like, isn't it, isn't physiotherapy like all about like, you fixing me and giving me exercises. And I was like, you know what? That we're just as surprised as our clients are. The thing is it works, right? And if virtual care works, like if we look at it from the opposite way, if virtual care works, what does it say about our manual skills? What it says is we're putting all of our eggs in this one basket that actually shouldn't have all of our eggs. And we, uh, this, it really is a big piece of our identity, right? Like we really thought like we've spent a lot of time and effort becoming really excellent manual therapists. And all of a sudden you're telling me that it's not what I, the reason why things are working is not the reason that I thought they were working, right? So we're not discounting the facts that when people see manual therapists, they're getting better. The question is, what is it that they're doing that is getting them better? And our research says it's building up a client's self-efficacy. It's building a relationship. It's ensuring that they're moving. And a very small part of it is whatever you choose to do with your hands. So it doesn't minimize the fact that something with your hands is going to be helpful for our clients. It's just like a very small sil sliver of the pie. And if we if we thought that it was, you know, 95% of the pie and the relationship was 5%, it's probably closer to 15% of the pie and everything else is way bigger. Um, and we also have a lot of research that like we thought we were like somebody's joint was stiff. So we're mobilizing it and loosening it up. 
well, actually, it's probably not what we're doing. We're probably actually changing the inputs to the central nervous system. The brain, the relationship is now, you know, we're creating new neural pathways and now we can figure out a different way to move that shoulder. So a lot of our research around manual therapy is actually um, pointing towards the fact that we're not doing what we thought we were doing in the first place. And for those people who have been ad slowly adopting the biopsychosocial model of care, We've, you know, we know that when, when um, professors and teachers um, and our, our um, you know, th the physiotherapists who are educators are promoting the biopsychosocial model, we know that physiotherapists who are tied to the biomedical model or the hands-on care model have a really hard time with it. We already know that. So I just think this is really, it, it's just another sort of, a piece of evidence that the, we are like the world is evolving and we are the ones who are holding strong in what was working, but what we thought was working before. And it's a real opportunity for um, practitioners who are willing to try something different and reach out and, and evolve um, to step up at this point, because all of our clients are buying aura rings. They want to, they want to track their sleep. They want to be on top of things. They're buying, um, Apple watches. They're buying Fitbits. Like technology is, is we are moving towards more technology in our healthcare. And if our clients are, what we're essentially asking them to do is dedicate like three hours of their time to drive to us, sit in our waiting room, wait for us, you know, get their extra childcare, drive home, childcare, like, you know, if, if we're saying if everything else is changing, but we're not willing to change, I think what we're doing is missing a massive group of people who need our help, who are not going to receive it. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, this is about, you know, what clients need. And it's so interesting because we do assume that everybody wants that one-to-one -one in person care. And there's a lot of people out there who are sort of DIYers. Yep. Right. And those are the people that you were saying at the beginning that like may not want to come in to see us physically, but may want our strategy. And that's really what, you know, what is it that we as physiotherapists are doing? We're, we're, we're strategists. We, we understand anatomy. All, all of the information that we're giving them. Let's be honest with ourselves. They can Google how to do shoulder range of motion. They can. Absolutely. Right? But how do you do that when you're receptors and your nervous system is in high level protection mode and you're uncertain if you should, you know, like there's so many different factors that play into what is keeping that joint from moving effectively. Is it the, right. Is it the muscles? Is it the, the passive structures? Is it your perception and understanding of pain? Do you think you're going to injure yourself? So, so there's so many pieces around that education piece that softens I, I guess uh, softens the neurology, <laughs> the neurosystem to be like, okay, I'm willing to now move a little bit with a little bit of ease. And that if we can input new information to the nervous system, the nervous system will hopefully be picking up signals of safety. And the safer we feel, the easier it's going to be to move. And again, part of that input may include manual therapy techniques, but it's us, like in this case, it's me teaching you a variety of different strategies of how you can work with your own tissue and work 
with your nervous system to input those signals of safety. And I think that we don't spend, and we as manual practitioners um, are not spending enough time educating the public about our role as strategists. We have basically sort of looped ourselves with, um, you know, practitioners like massage therapists who like people come in, they just want to be touched and then move on. And, and that is not the value that we provide. It's again, like we can do manual, manual care, but when I, like when we're in school, we spend 75% of the time being, you know, in didactic learning, learning about the nervous system, learning about the body, learning about the cardiorespiratory system, all those pieces. And then the rest of the time is, is hands-on skills. But I think that what we do is we throw out the, what we're not saying is manual therapy is not valuable. What we are saying is, can we step back and see what else we have to offer that could possibly create massive value for our clients as well? Absolutely. What do you, what do you think is, so, I mean, you are, you know, you've been doing the hybrid model, you know, that there are therapists out there who, you know, really want to develop skills, you know, in this area, or maybe want to do virtual, but like, are just really feeling lost. Um, Again, trying to access, you know, courses and most of the stuff you and I access were live webinars because there weren't any courses or anything built around this structure, which, you know, you're, Well, exactly. Till now. So I'm curious because you've sort of run through with two cohorts now, Mm -hmm. um, your, your course on providing virtual care. What, you know, what was sort of the holdup and like, what was the transformation? Like, what did people say afterwards? Like, what was the, what were some of the most important learning pieces that you think people got out of your class? I think um, people really want to understand what to do during a session, yeah. how, how to determine when to, when to progress and how to progress. Um, I, I think that like really taking our, like our clinical reasoning and adapting that to virtual care versus thinking you have to just progress exercises. Like I, I, I think that people have a routine when they're in clinic and they don't have a, it's creating a new routine for virtual care. And that's really important. Um, I think that. We as, um, we as physiotherapists tend to be more type A perfectionist and, you know, trying something different where it's not going to be perfect right away is really scary for people. Um, and just being given permission to like, to be doing things for the first time, to be learning again, um, is, is really important to understand that yeah, it's not going to be perfect the first couple of times you do it. I think technology really scares people um, that technology is going to fail. Um, and feeling <laughs> It <safe>. has failed. <laughs> I, I clearly had it fail yesterday trying to sign into an assessment and Doxy just wasn't working. So, you know, you just pivot the, the word of the year. And I got on the phone. I was like, listen, I don't know what's happening with Doxy. I haven't received any notifications that it's having an issue. I can't tell if it's on my end or your end. So we completed the subjective portion on the phone. I said, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to sign into Doxy again for the objective, the objective assessment. And if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't work, then we'll save the objective piece for the next visit and we make adjustments. And so then we ran to the, I ran, like literally ran in my clinic to the back, got on the computer, tried to sign in, 
Doxy wasn't working. And I was like, oh man. Okay. So I called her right. I just called the client right back. And I was like, listen, okay, this is not working. Here's, here's what we're going to do about it. And like the client, you know, I feel like now that people have had um, more experience because now physicians are doing virtual, everything's more virtual. So I think people have a greater understanding of what it is. People are pretty understanding. And I mean, homeschooling, like the number of fail, like today was a total fail with Microsoft Teams. Like I had to update the laptop. I had to update the iPad, then update Teams. I had to use my phone for the first part here, like use my phone. Then I jump back on the iPad. Like, I think people have just gotten used to the idea of technology, not always working, but just learning the adaptability is just. And I think with that's the pieces, like when people are like, are we actually use, so we use, we have three different um, portals for our, for our. Um, our Virtual. Yeah. And, um, and if one doesn't work, we hop on another one. If that one doesn't work, we hop on. And again, same thing. Like I, I, you know, knowing that like, you're not waiting, if somebody, you're not waiting for someone to be 10 minutes late before you start contacting them. If somebody's two minutes late, you hop on the phone and you start helping them through their technology. Like just it, it, things work differently. I think that like, you know, people are like, well, what do you do with your phone? Like, okay. Like you don't want to call the person with your, with your phone number. That's fine. Turn off your caller ID, move on. And I just, I think that people are very nervous about what happens if it fails and just being told it's going to fail. It's, it's going to fail. Not, it's not what happens when it fails. It's what is my plan when it fails? Do you have a plan in place? Yeah. Right. And it's not about us looking people are afraid to look stupid. Like people are afraid to, um, for it not to be perfect. And I, I think a big piece of virtual care is it's actually not going to be perfect. And that's, um, that's, okay, that's okay. And we have to stop making it about us. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the clients. Your clients need care. If they're in isolation, they can't come to you. If they're in quarantine, they can't come to you. If they're scared to come to you. If they wouldn't come to you anyhow. If like, there are so, there's a multitude of reasons why clients are not getting in clinic care right now. Aside from the fact that very practically speaking, Maddie, our in-clinic appointments take longer right now. Right? There's- yep we need, we have cleaning time. So we actually have less space in clinic. So if we're going to see, if we're going to provide care to the, to the people who need it, we need to make accommodations in order to see the people who need care. Um, very practically speaking, our the virtual care gives us an opportunity to see people who we cannot see in clinic. I cannot see the number of people who need to be seen right now in clinic in a week because because of the cleaning protocols, because of the limitations in terms of um, how many people are physically allowed into my space at the same time. And so what it really comes down to is what, what are you gonna do in order to serve the people who need you? And you just need to get over your fear that things are not gonna be perfect because they need you. Yeah, I think it's, uh... I think a mindset piece is really, is a really, really big thing because I know like in the beginning, I was like, well, clients don't want virtual. And I'm like, they don't know that they want virtual. Like they just don't know. Um, and the people and- who said no to at the beginning, again, they were in their fight, flight or freeze, right? So we're in a very different place right now than we were when you first asked them. And if you're just basing that on when you first asked them, March 16th, of course, they're not going to be. Okay. Yeah, because they thought two weeks later they'd be in clinic, just like we did too, right? Um, 
but though, you know, but a lot of clients, you know, did, did come around later when they saw that this was lasting longer, we couldn't take them because they didn't qualify for emergency care, you know, cup, you know, give six weeks of pain, you know, not changing and, and, and relenting and people are like, okay, like, let's see what you can do. Right. They became open to the idea and then became very surprised how effective it actually was. And I think the other piece is if you don't give people an opportunity to try something different, they're not going to know if they like it or not. So yeah. what we did also was we gave, like I was doing a ton of free care initially. People were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be effective. I don't know. My kids are home. Why this? Why that? I was like, you know what? Let's just try it and see. I am committed. It, there's also a massive identity piece um, in terms of resilience as a human being when we're going through challenging things. It's like we identify as physical therapists. We identify as care providers. And for the people who are like, I can't, we can't be seen in clinic. I'm just shutting down. I can't. Oh my God done the physical therapist who chose not to treat virtually actually had a really hard time um, emotionally had a really hard time um, in those first couple you know those first couple of weeks because their identity was tied to clinical care right yeah it did, when I was providing care for my clients whether they were paying me or not I was number one maintaining a caseload Number two is I was serving in the way that I want to be serving in the world. I got to continue to serve that role. And so I think just as a human being who sees it as my role in this life to be able to help people and to service my clients, I'm able to continue to do that in the way that I, in the way that I want. It's different and we are doing hybrid and sometimes it's virtual and sometimes it's in, in clinic. But at the end of the day, my clients got used to it. They got to taste it and they got to see that it was successful and then they wanted more. Yeah, it's so, and it's interesting because I posted this on my Instagram. I did like a whole week about like telehealth and virtual and hybrid. And one of the pieces that I was saying is like for us therapists who like continued to step forward in virtual care, like we're actually ahead now in the sense that like we've, we've become more proficient. Like we've become better at doing virtual care and and it's going to be tough, you know, if there's going to be situations where therapists have to switch, you know, there's a learning curve, but the good news now for those therapists who are like, listen, this is a skill that I think is really important for me to have, for me to cultivate, for me to see more patients, to make the impact. Right. So what we're really talking here about is massive transformative like purpose, like you and I are driven by a purpose that is greater than the fear of trying something new. Yes. And that's what it comes down to. And the thing is, you're never going to like, just start. Like my, my, my message is just start. Cause if you're worried about the, the learning curve, the learning curve happens faster. When you start today, you'll be through it, you know, five weeks from now. But if you wait for five weeks, cause you think you're going to perfect it before you go, you, before you start, yeah. that is a fallacy. That is not going to happen. It's never going to be perfect. The way you perfect it is just by doing it. So I was also going to say to that piece, like now we have courses, yes. right? Like we have people who have been doing this that have recognized you know, because we've seen it in industry, people, you know, not wanting to because they don't know how, 
right? So one of the pieces is like, I don't know how, and that is paralyzing for some, right? I just don't know how, what do the sessions look like? How do I do a proper, you know, how do I do a proper assessment, this and that, where again, we had like live webinars and we're at the whim of availability to those live webinars, but now we have courses, right? You created an intensive course to give people the answers. So tell us more about like, what is in your course? What are people going to learn? What is, what does it look like for them? Because I know you, you got another cohort coming up soon. Yeah, yeah. So you got another cohort coming soon. This was also, I will say for myself, um, another pivot to start to teach. You know, but we, we've we pivoted and then we just pivoted hard and we <laughs> refining the process. And I was meeting with my therapist at least three times a week to figure out what do you do during an appointment? What do we do? And we just kept honing it. And um, to the point where we had a, like a number of people, I was getting calls regularly. What are you doing? How are you doing it? What do you find working? What's, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put this together. I'm just going to put all my thoughts together. And what it really came down to was um, technology was a piece of it, but it wasn't so much just turning on the video. It was actually creating systems, creating a system in the clinic so that we had from start to finish we like everybody was on the same page as to what does it look like when somebody books how do they book how do they know to book virtual all the way through to what is you know what emails are they getting what are what am i what am i admin saying to them we have systems in place so we start off learning those systems right systems for the therapist when they're logging on when they're you know all this systems for the clinic systems for um, consent for, you know, from start to finish, how does my clinic run in that hybrid model? But that's just the first day. Yeah. We are talking about mindset, mindset for the clinicians and mindset for the, um, for our clients. We talk about, we spent an entire session on what do you do? Like, how do you run a session? How do we take that clinical, those clinical skills and how do we adapt them and what do we do? Then we spend an entire session on, um, on marketing. Now that you know how to run a practice, how do, what do you do? How do you get out there? What are you going to talk to people about? Who do you talk to them about? What do you say? And we have an entire fifth session on coaching. So number one, where are you, where are you, where are you hindering? Where are your barriers? to entry, what are you, you know, what are you sort of stumbling with? And we, we really work through um, our, like, what, what does your model look like? Are you, what does your hybrid model look like? Like for us, we're three virtual to one in person. We're 75% virtual. I've had people come through, we've had a chiropractor come through, she decided she was doing every other, um, one hybrid, one, uh, one virtual, one in person. Like, what does the ideal hybrid model like what does your personal model look like and then we also spend time on um what is your script what is your script when someone says you know all right what's the value how do you articulate it you know so we we really go through all of those pieces and um what we've seen is that by the third session most people are up and running already like you're not like it is my goal for every single person to actually be functioning in a hybrid model by the end of those five sessions. And the majority of them are up and running 
long before that. It's been really fun. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're passionate and we know that it works. We just know that people need frameworks just like we sort of needed, you know, we sort of needed frameworks and, uh, you know, we just had to dive into that in- investment. I think as clinic owners, you know, we were always the first ones like out the gate to like get things done. Um, so we're obviously the early adapters, <laughs> right? Like we're the first My ones motto that- in life is like, <laughs> just get started. It's going to be messy and yeah. we will clean it up as we go. And what I am offering is the cleaned up version. <laughs> it's still going to be messy because you're still, you're still going to have to find your own personal groove. Right. But I'm always like, for me, the big thing, like as a clinician was, I always wanted a framework. Like I just need you or someone to just go through how you go through it, start to finish. Um, so I did find it like, uh, you know, um, because I'm a Mac grad, so, you know, ours is problem-based learning. So I had a little bit of difficulty, you know, because I had to put the pieces together for myself. Um, but you know, I really enjoy having somebody tell me their framework because then I adapt it. It's like, I just need a vision. I need an image in my mind. Once I have that image, I make it my own, but I need, like, I'm the clinician. I like, I just, I need to see the pieces put together in proper order, (laughs) you know, uh, rather than just, you know, sort of trying to um, scramble although I can do that and did do that. Um, but thankfully, you know, I have a group of wonderful women who I could be like, what do you think of all these pieces? Somebody give me some context to this. So, you know, I feel very lucky, lucky and grateful for that piece. But, um, I think that if there are therapists out there who, you know, have sort of had their mindset on, okay, one-to-one in person, like manual therapy care, like I know the value. I know I'm really good in those skills. How about we teach you how you can take those skills and like revamp them into a virtual realm? Yeah. Because I think we're doing a disservice to our our clients by not having that offer. Yeah. So when, just to give people kind of a heads up, like when, when do you foresee the next um, offering being available? So we are starting, we're running the next, uh, the next set of sessions are starting uh, in March. They are, I believe the day, it's the first Wednesday in March. They're Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern, are we in Eastern? Standard? Yeah, we're, we're, we're Eastern, yeah. I actually have to Google that every single time. Somebody asked me what my time zone is, so thank you for that. I, I figured that out because I podcast with people all the time and like the couple times I failed to mention like, hey, we're Eastern Standard Time, there I am logged in. I'm like, where are they? Oh my God. And then they're like, oh, we're not in the same time zone. So I've learned to like, be like, I'm Eastern Standard Time. What time are you? Because I don't know where you are. Um, we are starting March 3rd is the first date of five. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I believe. And uh, we'll be running some master classes beforehand as well. Um, so where uh, where can people where can people find this information like with respect to master classes and course content? We are our master classes on 
February 24th and February 28th, both at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can go to the link in my bio on Instagram, uh, Vital Physiotherapy and Wellness, um, or Hannah Ross PT, that's C-H-A-N-A, Ross PT on Instagram, and uh, follow the link in our bio. And uh, go there to sign up. Um, I that you will not be disappointed. I will tell you that. Yeah. And we'll try to get those links in the show notes to just make life easier for everybody to access that info. Um, I've had a really great time. It felt like I, if I had questions written down, I wouldn't, <laughs> I would not have even looked at them because, you know, I think you and I, like we could just blah, 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 literally for like hours unscripted. Um, and we are totally not bothered by the record button. I love it. Yeah, no, who knows? Who knows what, what we're talking about next time? Exactly. Uh, it's always a pleasure hanging out with you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you for, you know, having this chat with me. And obviously, thank you to all of our listeners. And if you know uh, PTs, physiotherapists, physical therapists, as known in the U.S. or anywhere across the world, you know a friend um, that could benefit from learning a bit more about virtual care, then like share this out. And that is all. So we'll see you, not see you, hear you, listen to you on the next, on the next call. Bye guys. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.